Hi, Jerome. Hey, girl. How are you? I am feeling fantastic. How about you? I'm great. It's That's Mother's good. Day. I got a um, I got a great card. Nora is the queen of hand drawn cards, and uh, I got a great one <laughs> today that had Happy Mother's Day on the front, and then you opened it, and there was a a drawing of a iPhone mm-hmm. with the with a no symbol on it, you know, the circle with the slash. And I was like, Oh shit. Is she telling me to stay off my phone today? But then (laughs) the phone was for my birth, for, for mother's day, she was going to not be on her phone all day. Um, Uh, That was her mother's day. And give you her undivided attention. (laughs) Yeah. So we, so we hope, yes, we'll see. But I asked her, cause I had been for a run when I came back to get that. And I said, Oh, this, so you haven't been on your phone this morning at all? And she goes, well, you weren't here. So anyway, so we'll see. We'll see how well, her gift goes. I was thinking about you on my run, and you are my favorite mom. And I thought, well, I guess I'm a little biased. But, um, <laughs> a little yeah. bit. And one of my favorite, uh, uh, well, it wasn't a, a Mother's Day card, but I love the time you sent me a picture of Nora. She was she cooked you Mother's Day breakfast, yeah, and uh, she had written out the menu, and you were sitting there uh, with bed hair, taking <laughs> uh, looking over the menu, and she was standing up. Did she have on a cowboy hat? I think, yeah. And Maybe anyway, she, so. she was yeah, little. I like that one too. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Oh, well, today we've got something for your kids, hopefully. And actually, we've got a bonus. So we've got a a nugget for your kids and a bonus nugget for you as parents, which um, I'm excited to share. Uh, Today, we are talking about a book called Thoughts Without a Thinker. And the author is Mark Epstein, MD. And he's he's a psychiatrist and a Buddhist. And so he's a Jewish Buddhist psychiatrist. So he's got the triple threat as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> and I learned about him actually from Jerome mm. because like 20 something years ago, <laughs> you introduced me to his other book, second book. He's got like six or seven books, um, Going to Pieces Without Falling Apart, which is also amazing. Yes. And actually probably a little more consumer friendly um, than the first book thoughts without a thinker that we're going to talk about today. Um, But both of them are amazing. He's just got such an, a unique and interesting view. Um, And I've read a lot of his books actually. So thank you for Jerome for turning me on to Mark, Dr. Epstein. Well, um, he is woke before woke was even a term. (laughs) So true. Yeah. He was woke. (laughs) (laughs) It's so true. You know, he was, I was reading the, rereading the intro today um, to Thoughts Without a Thinker, and he was talking about, um, he was talking about William James teaching back in the day and really thought that Buddhist teachings, the Buddhist philosophy was going to be a game changer for American psychotherapy. It was before Freud. And he really thought that was the next evolution was going into the Buddhist 
um, approach to living life. And it didn't. Freud came on the scene and kind of disrupted that whole thing. But it's interesting that maybe had Freud not come along, we would have been in a different whole world today. Um, well, and, you know, the, I'm just sitting here thinking, like, I thought William James was a Presbyterian, but, you know, and I never re- remembered him saying anything about uh, that being a game changer, but interesting. Well, I'm I'm calling it a game changer. He mm. was saying he really thought that it was going, there was a Buddhist monk who came to one of his classes, and he pointed at him and said, um, you know, take my chair, you are much better to teach mm-hmm. this subject than I am, but mm-hmm. nobody. Or, uh, another point about that though, it's interesting, like uh, what appeals to us is what sticks to us. And, you know, um, you are far more read about um, Buddhism than I am and probably, and uh, I'm sure Epstein is. And so like one of my favorite things that William James said um, was th- that make your nervous system your ally not your uh, enemy. And so like, I'm much more about uh, these days, making your emotions and your, uh, your nervous system, your, your friend, knowing how to manipulate it. Because as Peter Meyer says, if you can control your physiology, you can control, you can do anything. Well, I'll have to explain. Peter Myers is um, the owner of the company that my husband works for, Stand and Deliver Group. I guess they're not Stand and Deliver Group anymore. They're just Stand and Deliver. And um, they are amazing leadership and executive coaching and lots more, but super smart people. Um, so that gives, that's interesting you say sticky, because I think before we even started recording today, I was saying thoughts without a thinker is, you know, it's, it's a kind of deep book. It's a little hard if you're not familiar with Buddhism. I don't know. It's you, it's, you can still learn a lot, but it's not, um, it's not an easy self-help book. I didn't pick the easiest of the self-help books off my shelf for today, but I do think it's the, the little nugget that we're going to talk about today is super core to almost anything, and it's especially relevant to what um, my own daughter, who's 11, almost 12, is going through in middle school, which is all about identity, right? Like figuring out who you are, where you fit. Um, and so so the think, I think the, the nugget that I wanted to talk about today is, is this, and really the, the title says it all, but I'm going to deconstruct it a little bit more, which, which is his nugget is it's not what happens in our life. It is our perception or our thoughts about what happens. We can choose how to relate to our emotions or our feelings. If we understand the difference between our feelings and our personalities. And I'll give you a quote from the book. We reduce concretize or substance substantialize experiences or feelings, which are in their very nature fleeting or evanescent. In so doing, we define ourselves by our moods and by our thoughts. We do not just let ourselves be happy or sad, for instance. We must become a happy person or a sad one. This is the chronic tendency of the ignorant or deluded mind to make, quote unquote, things out of that which is no thing. And so I think this idea of learning to recognize when you have a feeling 
it's a feeling and not a defining characteristic of who you are. You don't identify with that. Um, I think is super important for everyone, and but especially at this juncture that Nora is at. Would you agree, Jerome? Well, I do agree, and I do also believe that, you know, um, feelings call the shots. So, um, you know, and it's hard, you know, to separate how feelings fuel your your thought processes Mm -hmm. and um you know so but keep keep going yeah well I I think that's a good point and I think the the his answer to this is meditation which is Mm -hmm. learning how to look at your thoughts notice your thoughts and knows notice that they come and go is basically the whole point of meditation is being able to sit there with nothing going on, notice that you're thinking, and then let it go. And so the idea is you would then do that in your regular life too. You have a feeling, you notice your feeling, you notice your thought about your feeling, and you let it go and move on. Um, You're smiling, Jerome. What are you smiling at? Oh, because I had so much fun running and thinking about like, uh, because it is Mother's Day, and I was thinking about how my mom did not do any of this meditation stuff. (laughs) Seriously, I know. But you know what she did do with me was dance with me. And she would always, and I was like, I wonder if that's what she was doing to get me attuned to a better, uh, you know, life experience, you know, just like, and I kept thinking about like how she would just, you know, um, try to get us to do the penguin with her. There's this dance called the penguin. <laughs> and, and now like that has stuck with me. You know, it's like, I'm always dancing to get out of my head to shift how I feel or to ha- enhance how I feel. And I think so for um, people that have monkey mind, you know, mm-hmm. and don't meditate well, I, I think you can achieve the same thing, you know, through, uh, movement um, that you're trying to that you're trying to achieve through um, meditation, which is to change your vagal tone and right. um, activate your parasympathetic nervous system instead of your fear system. Yes. Yeah, I mean, I I've heard enough people talk about this that I've heard the rebuttal to this because mm-hmm. there, there are people, and I I think accurately say that is a different thing. Movement, movement and, and creating these uh, physical changes in your body that affect your mind is a different thing than sitting in meditation mm-hmm. um, and watching your mind, mm-hmm. like becoming comfortable with your mind. And Yes. Yes. No, well, now, now I'm going to hear you on that and I'm going to believe that. However, I do believe that watching your mind is based on, you know, you're better at watching your mind, you know, when you are calmer, when your vagal tone is higher. So whatever it takes, whether it's breathing or mm-hmm. movement, and I mean, what do, what do you call that? Uh, what's that meditation? Uh, the walking meditation? Mm-hmm where you do the grid, you know, I mean, you know, they're still trying to achieve it through movement and trying to change your physiology so, so that you can walk, watch your thoughts differently so that your thoughts don't cling uh, the same 
but you know, um, I'm not, uh, you know, that, that, that I'm not saying that the science of either is wrong. Yeah. Well, I think, I think, or right. I think the point, I think the point is you, with meditation, you, um, you have a, a, well, not a goal, but you have an intention to do mm. this thing. Whereas mm. in, if you're doing movement or dance or whatever, you were having fun cutting up with your mom, it did change your physiology, change your state. Uh-huh. But there wasn't the intention, your own intention, like, I want to do this to change my state so that I can da, 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 da. And so why not make that an alternative? Yes. You know, well, especially to, for kids. Like to, to, to move intentionally and they can't move when they're in class and they're so go through the movements of whatever it is that dance that family dance that you guys do uh to run it through your head to chill out i was just trying to think of an alternative to meditation um or either say that you know I think that new Taylor Swift song lasts like two minutes and 38 seconds. So <laughs> that means like the, the me song, which mm-hmm. is so good y'all, but um, <laughs> you cannot, um, you, whatever you're trying to get your 11 year old to do, it cannot last more than two minutes, 38 seconds. You cannot ask somebody to sit still longer than Taylor Swift ask you to listen to her <laughs> I agree with that and I, I you know I'm a meditator but um and Nora's meditated a few times very in, in class or with me um but it yeah it is a hard lift um sitting meditation for a kid so yes. it's like well how, so what's the answer like how do you teach a kid to 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 get this idea that their feelings are not their personalities and I was wondering, is if is it just as straightforward as teaching your kids that, like, like overtly teaching, like feelings come and go, and that's yeah. okay. They're okay, but they don't define you. Yes, yes, yes. I mean, is it I, as simple as that? Well, it certainly doesn't hurt to go that angle as well. You know, I was on the run today. I was thinking, like, well, you know, you teach your kid fear is an acronym for, uh, what I, I didn't make this up, false evidence appearing real. Mm-hmm. And you teach your kid that far is f- facts are really real. And you can respond to far differently from fear, you know? And so it is just like, baby, is it fear or is it far? You know, mm-hmm. you know, um, that is one, I mean, having that conversation and that play on words, you know, it sounds like fear to me, baby, and you know what we know what fear is, or yeah. it sounds like far to me, boo, and uh, that's, that's some real good. stuff. Yeah. I you like know, that. Shut, oh girl, get her off your Facebook, um, uh, uh, defriend her or unfriend her so that she won't be working your nerves. Yeah. That's a, that's great advice. I mean, is that, um, I mean, again, that's for all of us, right? I mean, this, I think this thought, this nugget in particular is, it's so hard because it's something I can't do all the time. 98% of the time, I am not able to detach from my feelings and, and not take on things and, um, 
my thinker is having thoughts and I do perceive those as reality. And, um, and it's really hard. It's really hard. It's one of those things, again, it's kind of why we wanted to start this podcast is it takes practice. These ideas take practice and repetition and the sooner kids can get started with some of these things, like I, I feel like the better off they'll be because they'll have so much practice by the time, you know, their college comes and the twenties come. Yes. Yes. And I remember one day I was talking to uh, a 16 year old and his girlfriend had broken up with him and he was feeling like crap about it. And, um, you know, and, and I was explaining to him, well, there's room for you to feel like crap about it. And there's room for you to also enjoy the game on Friday, you know, mm. uh, teaching, like, instead of trying to tell them that, that, you know, you're not your feelings, you know, because it's like, well, I feel, I feel it. I still feel it. It's just like, well, is that all you feel, you know? And right. like, well, there's room for you to feel that and, and it won't go away until it goes away. And there's also room for you to feel enthusiastic about X, Y, or Z. Right. Yeah. That's really good. That's good. It, I was talking to a friend, um, a mother of a friend of Nora's at the soccer game yesterday, and she's got an older daughter who's in eighth grade and kind of just in, she's in deep on this early teen thing. Got a, The girl's got a boyfriend. There's all texting and all the stuff that you, I'm just dreading when Nora gets to eighth grade, but she's reading a book called Untangled and I don't have it yet. Um, have you heard of that one, Jerome? Yeah, I have heard of it. Yeah. But something she, she recommended it highly, but one thing that she said that I thought was interesting and plays right to your story is the author says it's really important for kids as they, especially as they get into these years to have so many different tributaries i think she calls them feeding into their soul like yeah, it yeah. it so if they get cut from the soccer team they've still got aikido and they still got guitar and they've still got you know volunteer stuff or have keeping their lives full yes. not over scheduling for the sake of over scheduling but just so that they have plenty of other resources to draw from that's right. The better you feel about yourself and the better you feel about others in general, the more resilient you are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, you've got, I mean, that's the kid that's not going to just get hijacked with sadness or anger or the such. Right. Right. Well, good. Well, um, well, we promised you a bonus nugget for parents today that com- comes from this book, Thoughts Without a Thinker. And Um, I'm just going to read this quote again directly from the book because I think it's so good. And again, on this Mother's Day, I think it's very um, apt advice and, and hope kind of. So here's the quote. Although Winnicott, and Winnicott was a psychologist who did a lot of parenting studies, right, Jerome? You probably, you know more about him than I do. Um, Although Winnicott wrote extensively about the importance of mother-child attunement, he also came to a profound, profound appreciation of how vital it is for a mother to be able to let her child down. A parent has to be willing to disappoint, he found, because disappointment, as the Buddha also said, is inevitable. 
In so doing, in letting a child down, in being truthful about one's inability to meet all of one's child's needs, a disappointing parent moves a child toward a capacity to cope with everyday life. In one of his final papers, Winnicott wrote movingly of how a child's primitive anger at his parents' imperfections can turn into empathy. The critical ingredient for this transformation is the parent's ability not to take the child's anger personally, a Buddhist idea if there ever was one. And I just breathed such a sigh of relief (laughs) at this idea. Um, And it really resonated with me. I don't know for a lot of reasons, but um, I do like to do things right. And I get caught up in that sometimes. So this idea of being vulnerable enough to let your child see that you don't have all the answers that you have let them down, I think is really comforting in a lot of ways. Yeah. It must be really hard for you guys because you always, this girl, I was trying to decide whether to get the rice crispy treats with the uh, sprinkles or just plain ones. And this girl was just like, um, look, moms want their kids to be happy. Don't worry about it. Just get, you know, it just, it just doesn't matter. Cause I was taking some kids, uh, rice crispy treats as a gift. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and I was just like, yeah, moms want their kids to be happy. They don't, oh, you yeah. know, that's so important to them. And, um, sometimes their kids aren't feeling that moment that you are trying to get them to be happy because it makes you feel so much better. I just thought like, man, you know, this one quote made me think of how hard it is to, you know, have to sit with your own um, lack of success in trying to shift your kid's mood. That's right. That's right. Yeah. It's hard. And it's, um, and it's like a loss of, you know, messing up is hard and especially in front of a kid because you're, you know, the, the role is you're supposed to know everything and they're supposed to learn from you. And we all know that's not true exactly, but um, I find it hard to fail in front of my child. Oh yeah. And like that book untangled and entanglement and making sure your kids got multiple activities and the such and the such. And well, it goes back for the parent too, you know, not to just get hijacked trying to get all their A pluses out of their parenting and they've got other things to do. And, you know, that's easier said than done. You know, trying to get somebody to go exercise in the morning instead of being with their kids or in the evening, uh, that just doesn't happen much. You know, people, you know, feel this commitment to their children that run so strongly, it's hard to put themselves on the shelf and, and go do that you know, uh, that exercise class. Yeah, it's true. And I mean, I think that's what's so um, delightful about this quote and this thought is that by doing those things, well, by messing up, by doing whatever you think is, is disappointing your child is actually helping them grow. It's helping them develop empathy. So it's a good thing. Um, it's for a greater cause. Yeah. Yes. 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 Um, well, good. Well, so what's our, so let's bring this back to our billboard. Um, I always rely on you for that, Jerome. Do you have a billboard for the feelings don't define you? 
Well, today, all I could think of was, is it fear or is it far? Uh, yeah, you know, I think and, that's good. You know, that, that acronym, you know, um, playing with your kids and, uh, you know, just by them asking themselves if it's fear or far activates, you know, their prefrontal cortex and allows them to use their rational mind and, you know, and they're not so uh, hijacked by whatever they're feeling. Right. By just even make, trying right. to make that distinction. Right. Right. Yeah. I could even see for younger kids, you know, drawing picture fear and far, like com- coming up with some kind of cartoon character for each one that you could quickly think of. Um, wait, repeat for people what fear and what far stand for just before we go. Fear. Um, I didn't make this one up. What is it? Uh, uh, Feelings. Evidence. Golly. I just like. Uh, Sorry, I, I caught you off guard. Feelings in. Evidence appearing real. False evidence. False evidence appearing, appearing real. Appearing real, okay. real. And far is facts are really real. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jerome. Wait, you were going to say something else? Oh, no, no. I was just just, just thinking, you know, um, it could be facts is real, you know, like if you, and like, if, like, is it, it'd be so much fun to say, is it fear or is it fur? <laughs> Except in the it's South, a, somebody that's some might. fur right there, girl. You better, you better run. Some fur you up in here. Run. <laughs> uh, well, thank you as always, Jerome, for such a fun talk. I hope people um, uh, got through all the description of Buddhism and psychotherapy and all that at the beginning to get to this really important and simple yet profound yet hard to enact. Um, idea. I think it's it could be really a great base for um, a good foundation for a kid's life is learning this idea of fear versus far or fur. <laughs> and um, I'm so happy we got to talk about it. I am too. And I have to tell you, I was thinking like, golly, this summer I've got to go visit Laura. Because <gasps> you Yay! run the most sane household ever. <laughs> it just makes me like look at myself and say like I've got to get my shit together oh stop. <laughs> well of course we love having you anytime you bring you bring joy to our house when you visit so please come visit yes big kiss okay love you love you too happy mother's day thank you bye, bye.